In this episode, I am going to be reading chapter 8. Put your mind to rest. Take a deep breath through your nose. Hold it. Relax every, everything in your body while exhaling slowly. Another deep breath through the nose. Hold it. Release over every bone in your body. Feel yourself sinking into the bed and listen to the story as it unfolds. July 17, Camp Winfield Scott, Washington. To Sarah, it was like the 4th of July and around her on the hills outside. Washington could be heard the cheering of the soldiers, the patriotic songs and the music of the regimental bands as the army of Potomac commenced its march to fight. They'd been told it would be a two-day march and many of the second Michigan had been given new shoes that morning. When she put them on, Sarah thought they were rather flimsy and she didn't like the way they rubbed her heels. But they were new. The army was taking care of their own. All around her as they marched away from the camp Winfield Scott, she heard jubilant cries of Richmond from the troops. We'll whip them this day, came one cry, and I'll be home for the fall harvest. Sarah was ready. Her canteen of water was full. Her cartridge box that hung her back was her bedroll and in her haversack her hardtack and salted pork. The second Michigan was in the main column and it was said they'd reach Fairfax by evening. As they marched one hour then two, the day became hotter and hotter and Sarah wished the long blue Union blouses they'd been issued were made of anything but wool. At home in the fields, she'd have worn a muslin shirt on such a day with the sleeves rolled up above her elbows. She was accustomed to the heat of the day, but in Virginia it seemed 
ten times worse than in Michigan. She tried not to think about her thick woolen hose, or the fact that they weren't thick enough to keep her heels from being rubbed raw on the new shoes. As they marched and marched through the lush Virginia countryside, Sarah paid less mind to the scenery and more to the ground beneath her, which had some ruts and was so dusty she sometimes had to cough. Half an hour outside Camp Winfield Scott, the troops stopped singing. The people who'd lined the road to cheer them were gone, and there were only the sound of the tramp, tramp, tramping of boots and shoes, the occasional kneeing of horses pulling hospital wagons and the mumble of complaints from the ranks. When she thought she couldn't bear it any more, when the straps that held her canteen and harvestack cut into her shoulders and the weight of the cartridge box made her back ache, a sergeant called a halt for the night. Soldiers all around her were dropping to the ground, faces and necks were burned red and Sarah felt sorry for some boys who'd been clerks or students and had never had to abide the bite of the summer sun. They made camp that night in Fairfax. Foragers were sent out for butter and milk and bread. Sarah heard cattle lowing in the distance. She drank the last of the boiled water Dr. Hammond had put in her canteen and went to the nearby stream for more. She heard shots fired in the distance and ran back to camp for fear the enemy had sighted them. It's nothing, Colonel Fenton told them. Our boys are getting supper. By dusk, fires glowed brightly in camp, shooting sparks into the warm darkness. Skewered on spits were parts of the cows that had been shot, chickens, even fish from the stream. There was an air of gaiety about the whole thing that made it feel like a picnic and Sarah went to sleep under the stars with a full stomach and the sound of singing in the distance. But then, in what seemed like only an hour, Colonel Fenton shook her awake and she heard reveal beat. All around her men were up, gathering their things, dark forms in a dream. Was it morning already? Overhead, she saw some stars and 
the crescent moon was still visible. Some fires still burned, and she smelled coffee and bacon. Saw some soldiers making hoe cakes. Her mouth tasted like she'd just eaten a scorched porcupine. She needed to stand up. On your feet, soldier. She felt a gentle boot in her thigh. We march immediately. Oh, breakfast! Came a cracked young voice from nearby. Didn't you eat enough last night, son? If we get marching, we can get two or three hours in before the sun gets high. We lost a number yesterday from sunstroke. Somehow, order was gotten out of the chaos, and they were on the march again. As the sun rose in the east, squinting at them, some of the young men from the Second Michigan fell out of line to fill their canteens at the creek. Others to pick blackberries along the way. The officers on horseback were everywhere, shooting commands, herding them back. Even wielding swords, they could not keep the men in line. They did not know how to keep in line thousands of young men, who, like Sarah, were away from home for the first time, and marching to battle, and maybe even to death. As the day wore on. Sarah found herself thinking about the deaf part. She did not worry the matter. She could shoot. Hadn't she shot off Zee Kunkel's hat from two hundred yards? By late afternoon, Sarah's head was throbbing. Her body itched from the woolen trousers and shirt. Her feet ached. And when she looked down, she could see the soles separating from her shoes. Ahead of her, some soldiers were already tripping over their disintegrating shoes and cussing. They passed the stone church. Somebody said they were in Centerville. Up ahead, Sarah saw General McDowell. The head of the army, talking on horseback with two other officers. The troops marched for what seemed like another half hour, then collapsed on the ground. Sarah knew she had set up her tent, but she was too wary to think of setting it up. She rolled under a tree. Her head bursting. Then she felt the point of a sword in her side. On your feet, soldier. She looked up, backlit by the evening sun. General McDowell. Sarah bolted to her feet. Yes, sir. Set up your tent and get a good night's rest. 
we fight tomorrow. His voice gentled, and Sarah obeyed. They were short of rations, and there was no foraging. Somebody said the enemy was just over the hills. Sarah wondered what they looked like. She had never seen a rebel soldier. She wondered if she could really shoot a man. And so she wandered to the edge of a camp meeting. Men were praying. The mood was sombre now. Sarah lingered a while listening to them respectfully. Somebody else about being a faithful soldier to Jesus. And Sarah thought that if Jesus was in charge here, he'd see to it that they at least had loaves and fishes to eat. Then she thought that was blasphemy. They started praying the same prayers her father prayed when he gathered the family together. After maybe knocking Sarah to the ground for not mending a fence right and while her mother sat next to him with a swollen eye because she tried to stop him. Sarah couldn't say such prayers and she knew no others. So she said none at all but walked slowly back to her tent passing knots of men hunched over talking in low whispers some reading their bibles she had no friends here and she envied these young men she even wished that night that she had a tent mate but cows had stayed behind to help Dr. Hammond with the many wounded that would come in after the battle. Sunday, July 21, Manassas, Virginia. As they marched Sunday morning before dawn, the first thing that struck Sarah was how pretty they looked up ahead. The army of Potomac column after column of them in the middle of the green hills then she heard the deep rumbling of artillery in the distance like some beast up ahead the others heard it too but nobody said anything much there was no joking now no complaining just the steady stramping of feet. Up ahead the road branched in three directions. She saw the troops being divided, the officers standing at the turnoffs, directing them with swords. The sun was up now and of a sudden Sarah could see the enemy. They were on heights of earthworks, a good distance away. The earthworks and fields seemed covered with Confederate infantry and artillery. She saw flags, horses, 
wagons, cannons. They formed up, taking their assigned places, an officer riding up and down behind their line, telling them to hold steady, boys. If you lose this today, they can take Washington. Then, from the enemy came a fearful explosion of shells, grape, and musketry. Men were falling all around Sarah. Instinctively, she dropped to the ground. Beneath her, the ground trembled, and she heard the terrible whooshing and explosion of shells. Now, all she could see was smoke from the enemy fire, and all she could hear were cheers and yelling from across the space between them. Men were moaning around her for what seemed a terrible length of time. The enemy continued firing. Shells screamed and exploded over and around them. The noise was deafening and Sarah felt primitive, urged to dig into the earth and hide. She was aware of the officers on horses riding up and down. Then the brigade bugle sounding the charge. Around her, the men got on their feet, Sarah with them, charging forward. Blindly, she followed the blue-coated figures in front of her, stepping over those who fell, even tripping and falling over them. Ahead were the earthworks filled with rebels. Above the sky vomited fire and smoke. Below her, she slipped and skidded on blood, jumped over abandoned guns, blankets, haversacks and canteens. At some point, they came behind a natural barrier of trees. Sarah saw her companions kneeling and readying to fire, so she did too. She readied her musket. Then there was a click, click, clicking and spurts of fire all up and down the line and they were moving forward. Up ahead, they were rolling waves of flame from the rebel cannon and their ranks seemed to break as the Union men kept firing and firing. Her regiment was running again, so Sarah ran with them. Running meant you were gaining ground. She felt rather than saw some cavalry dashing across the ground up her head. Saw the beautiful green earth churned up and parts of it blown through the air as a cannonball found its mark. Then, one of the rebel cavalry officers on horseback was coming right at them. Sarah stopped, knelt on one knee, aimed Fanny 
and fired. The cavalry officer went down with his horse. There was the sound of the horse's terror, more guns going off around her, and men and horses screaming. And smoke, such smoke. She saw the cavalry officer's horse get on its feet and gallop toward her. She moved out the way as the horse went by, eyes filled with fear, stirrups flapping. The smoke cleared a bit and men were running past. The officer she'd shot was on the ground, grey coat and mustard coloured sash stained with blood. A dizziness came over Sarah. She had done this. She must give him water. She guided the canteen to his lips, but they did not move. Then an officer came along and tapped her gently with the flat of his sword. Come on, son. There's nothing you can do here but get shot. Sarah took a drink of water to clear her mouth, covered her canteen and got to her feet to continue on. The sun was unmercifully hot now. Men were shedding their harvest sacks, blankets and even their canteens. Far ahead of her, she saw a regiment and knew she must catch up with them. The rebel batteries had ceased firing for the moment and she knew she must take advantage of this lull. But the Reb soldiers were still coming. In the half hour or so that followed, she reloaded Fanny, what seemed like dozens of times as they moved forward. If she hit anyone else, she did not know. She did not look anymore, nor did she stop. She fell, got up, and fell again. Twice, the Union men drove the rebels off their fortifications and over the hills. But, like fire ants, they came back again, appearing and reappearing. And, on their return, their artillery was more fierce than before. Once, she lost consciousness and awoke to hear the fighting father away. She scrambled to her feet, found her hat, and ran to catch up with the nearest group of blue-clad soldiers. They were firing up the hill. There was a house on the hill. Sarah saw a stone well nearby, a flower bed, some apple trees. She knelt down next to one of the soldiers. He looked at her. First Rhode Island, he said. Second Michigan, Sarah returned, got separated from my brigade. He took aim and fired. Join right in, that's the 8th Georgia up there. 
Right after he fired, Sarah saw a man drop from one of the apple trees. Then their batteries fired and more men dropped. Then he fired but Sarah couldn't hear the report because over their heads the Rhode Island batteries fired, blowing the roof off the house. The Rebs on the hill returned fire, a steady stream of it. Sarah saw the Rhode Islander open his mouth to say something to her. He was pointing to her left. She looked and saw a hill sloping away to some trees. She looked back at him, but he was pointing to her left. She looked and saw the hill sloping away to some trees. She looked back at him, but he was gone, blown away, his body flying through the air. The repercussion from the blast bowed Sarah over and she lost her footing and began to roll down the hill toward the trees. The last thing she thought of before she lost consciousness was the 85-year-old lady in the house at the top of the hill whose roof had just been blown off. Sadly, all good things must come to an end, so I bid you good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite.